All right, Rabotai, Beruchim Abayim, welcome to another edition of our Thursday night class. Tonight we're learning Parashat Terumah. Uh, in most years, we're able to do what they do in most airports around the country and make a diversion and uh, go to Parashat Shekalim and talk about Purim. Uh, because of the way the calendar falls out this year and there is a leap year, <clears throat> all these parashiyot stand alone and do not allow us to, uh, to escape them by diverting to something that might be a little more interesting or a little more, how should I say, dirashable. So the great challenge is uh, not only on the, on the Rav tonight, but the challenge is on the listener <clears throat> that you're going to have to be uh, willing to tolerate Something that's not a narrative. We've done with the narrative part of the Torah. The story time is over. <clears throat> that actually ended last week in Parashat Mishpatim, where we started the legislation part of the Torah. And that's not any fun either, unless you're a lawyer and you like the nitty-gritty of the law, but very hard to give dirash on the Mishpatim. So then we go to Tirumah, and then instead of Mishpatim, you're reading a blueprint <clears throat> of the tabernacle that they had in the Midbar, and it's all furniture, dimensions, height, sizes, raw materials that we use, donations. Uh, so the burden falls again on the darshan to try to find something that's uh, pertinent that we can put in our pocket. And it's the burden on the uh, listener uh, not to fall asleep uh, during the process. Uh, I hope I fulfill my my end of the share, I cannot guarantee uh, your side. <clears throat> so we start in Parashat Terumah. I guess I'm going to choose the first of the furnishings of the Mishkan, and that's the Aron. That's our analysis tonight. If you have a homash in front of you, <clears throat> we're going to read Perech Kafe. We'll start from Pasuk Yud. What's the Aron? The Aron will call it the Ark. <clears throat> it's made out of acacia wood. It's a fancy word for cedar wood. And the Torah gives us the dimensions. It's two and a half by two and a half by one and a half. <clears throat> it's plated in gold, actually pure gold. Uh, there's a crown on top. The crown is called Zer Zahav. There's four rings on the sides of the, of the Aron. The purpose of the rings is in order to place the poles, which is the badim, also made out of gold, in the poles, in the rings. You have to remember, the mishkan was transient. You needed to move it. So each one of these uh, heavy items is made with its own, you know, transporting system. So the system is you have the, the rings, you have the poles in the rings, so when they transport it, they lift it up and they move on. <clears throat> the pasuk then writes... Venatata el ha'aron. Now, what do you place in this ark? Etaidut. You place the testimonial. What is the testimonial? That she comes along and says, Ha-Torah. Very simple. You put the Torah in the aron. <clears throat> Fine. And then the pasuk says, in pasuk yud zayin, ve'asita kaporet. Now let's just get the terminology. What is a kaporet? A cover. Very good. 
the Aron is open on top. It's a box. So you put the Torah in the box, but now you have to cover the box. So the covering is called a kaporet. So the Torah says, Ve'asita kaporet zahav tahor. And it gives you the dimensions. I'm not talking about this tonight. We'll leave it for another year. On the kaporet, you need to hammer out kiruvim. Cherubs that come out of the kaporet. So above this covering, you're going to have the two figurines made out of gold that are facing each other for another night. This is... Uh, difficult enough. Now look at Pasukhaf Aleph. Tell me if you hear something problematic. And you shall place the kaporet, the covering, on top. Nothing wrong with that. And in the Aaron, put the Torah, put the Edut. Hold it. <laughs> Question is obvious. You just told it to me a few pesukim ago. Pesuk tezayin v'natata el haaron etaidut. Not uh, not ten pesukim later, and you tell me the exact same words. Ve'laaron titen etaidut. Why the redundancy? It's a simple question. Why repeat the same thing twice? Did we forget it? Good news, you don't need to open up the Kabbalah for this. Rashi HaKadosh was bothered with it. So let's go consult with Rashi. Rashi comes along and says, I don't know why it's repeated. So what's the... Uh, you know, what's the repeat for? The Yeshloma, so that she says, a big Hidush. Sheba Lelamed is coming to teach you. Shebeodo Aron Lebado Belo Kaporet. When the Aron is still uncovered and you didn't put the Kaporet on yet, Yiten Tehilaha Edut Letoho. Put the Torah in the Aron first, and then cover it. And that's why the Torah has to say it twice. Put the Torah in the Aron. Put the Torah in the Aron, meaning put it first, and then cover it. As opposed to making the Aron, covering it, finishing it, and then lifting the cover up, and then putting the Torah in. And she says, absolutely not. Don't do that. What you have to do is you have to make the Aron, put the Torah in, and at that point, you're going to cover it. And that's why the Torah has to go out of its way to tell you that very important fact and detail. Now that you heard that, all of you could sleep well tonight, because I know you were all bothered, you know, what goes first. You put the Torah in first, or you have to cover it first, and this was a major uh, uh, cause of concern for all our members. Now you could rest easy that she has told us you have nothing to worry. The Torah had to go out of its way and repeat and tell us, put the Torah in first and then the cover. And I'm asking myself, with all the respect, what in the world is the difference that we're making such a fuss? Whether you put the Torah in and then you cover it. And what would be so bad, I ask, if you covered it and then, has v'shalom, you had to uncover it for a minute and drop the Torah in and then cover it again. 
I, mean, I don't think it's because of convenience they're telling you, you know, why, why cover it and uncover it? Just might as well put it and cover it once. I don't think that's the reason. There must be some sort of deeper reason over here. That's the beginning of this analysis of the Aron. When I started to read a little more about this, I find something that is, there's no other way to say it, surprising for sure, but it's shocking. In Alpen Hashah, after the Aron, which is the first item, which I have no problem that it's the first item, Torah has to come first. It's uh, the most important. Talmud Torah Keneget Kulam. No question on that. Right after the Aron, the Torah tells us about the Shulchan, the table. Right after the Shulchan, the Torah tells us about the Menorah. Uh, after the Menorah, we move on to some of the Mizbechot, and then we go on to the Kiyor, the Kanod, the Sink, etc. So basically, we're talking about the furniture of the Mishkan. If you were to ask me, what's the most important keli in the Mishkan? If you asked me yesterday, you know all the kelim, I just listed them to you, the Aron, the Menorah, the Shulchan, the Mizbeah, the Kiyor, etc. In order, give me the most important one, I would have said hands down, the most important keli, Kodesh, holy vessel in the Mishkan is the Aron. Finished. And I would have asked for a show of hands, and it would have been unanimous. The rabbis write, Aron is the most important keli in the Mishkan. Not only would I have been wrong, but you've been wrong also for seconding the motion. Because <clears throat> I found Harambam. Harambam, when he talks about the laws of Beta Bechira, El Chod Beta Bechira, Periklishon, Pasuk Halacha Vav, Ve'osim Bemikdash Shiva Kelim. The Rambam says there are seven holy vessels that must be made in the Mikdash. It's a mitzvah. And he lists them. Mizbeach le'ola. Very nice. Besides the Mizbeach, the altar, you need to build a ramp, a kevish, a ramp in order to get up the Mizbeach. And then he tells you where you place it. Vikiyor, you need a sink. Wash the hands, COVID. Vikano, and the, the base. Oh, that's for the Kwanim to wash the hands. Fine. And the... And their feet. Don't tell, the, don't tell the CDC about the feet. Now they start making us wash our feet. In any event, then it comes along and says, Umizbah, la ketoret. And he needs for the ketoret, for the incense. Umenorah, of course, the menorah. Vishulchan. <laughs> Where's the Aaron? The main item, Harambam lists the seven and conspicuously missing from the list of Arambam is the Aron. Now, I thought at first, of course it's missing. He probably has a separate chapter just dedicated to the Aron, but that's not the case. Aron is missing from the list. Oh, only a guy that went through the yeshiva system can have the guts and courage to come along and say what our honorary member as she said just now. It's not a keli. Wow, that's gutsy to say. But it's not as she that's saying it. It's actually Rav Moshe Salavechik, Shalom, the brother of the Briskarav, makes the following statement based on this Rambam, which I thought to be astounding. 
I'm quoting. I'm reading from a sefer called Emrehen. Veshamati de Amar Marana Griz. Griz is the brisket rub. Peshem Achiv Hagram. That's what Moishe Soloveitchik. De Ledaat Arambam. According to Maimonides, Be'emet lo haya ha'aron bechlal mitzvat aseh de binyan bet ha'mikdash kish'ar kli ha'mikdash. There is no positive commandment to build an Aaron like there is on the other vestments or on the other Kelim. There's a commandment to build a menorah, to build a shulchan, to build a mezbeah. Aaron? Nah, it's not considered a clea of the Mikdash. It's not one of the Kelim. So what is it? The Aaron who na'asa rak, which that's the way Ramosha Salavetchik saying, it's an incidental. It's not something that's needed for itself. It's rak, rak what? It's, a, it's to house the luchot, to put the Torah in. Amazing thing. To me, I thought that was, uh, like I said, a big surprise. It's not a clean mikdash. Therefore, Harambam doesn't list it as one of the seven important kelim. Of course, you have to have it, but you don't have to have it intrinsically for itself. It's needed in order to put the Torah in it. The Torah is the main item. You can't put the Torah on the floor. You can't put the Torah, you know, stop, just put it on a, on a table. So you need to make a box. But there's really no inyan in the box itself. You know what it's like? I, I would say, if I had to give a, an understanding to it, it's like building a sukkah. There's no mitzvah to build a sukkah. The mitzvah is to sit in the sukkah. But obviously you can't sit in the sukkah unless you have a sukkah built. So the same thing. There's no mitzvah per se that this is considered a kli that you have to build. But you need to have it, not for itself. It's like a hechsher mitzvah. It's a preparatory for the, for the Torah that resides in it. Okay, that's the first chadush of Arabah. But... The Imrehen actually brings a proof to Harambam from a Midrash in this week's parasha. And I quote, the Midrash Agadol, parasha Teruma, Ve'asudi Mikdash, Harezim mitzvat aseh, La'asot bayit la'ashem, mitzvat aseh, to make a house for God. Ve'elu hen adivarim shehen ikar ve'binyan abayit. The following items are primary items for the binyan, or simbo, Kodesh, there's a holy, Kodesh Kodeshim, and a holy of holies. Ve'osimbo shiva'a kelim. It's the Midrash. Seven vessels. Mizbeach ve'kevish, the Mizbeach and the ramp. Kiyor ve'kano, the sink. Mizbeach ketoret, the Mizbeach of the incense. Menorah ve'shulchan. Listen to the language of the Midrash. Aval ha'aron, harehu leluchot. Ve'eno mikli ha'mikdash. Amazing. Go challenge anybody outside the class and tell them, you know, we went to the rabbi's class today and he told us that the Aaron is not a kli mikdash. And I'll tell you, stop going to this guy's class. It's blasphemy. The guy's a, a kofed by God. What kind of thing is that? Not a kli mikdash. And then you tell them, uh, okay, no problem. Just show me in the Rambam where it says it. Just, I forgot where it is. I don't hear the seven. I'm sure it's there. And then when he starts to see that it's not there, they'll come to the realization uh, that actually it's not Kli Mikdash. But now I want to tell you something even bigger, Hattush. 
But right, that's not a killing. But I would have thought, you know, Minoran Aron, Minoran Aron Shulchan. I thought those are the three, uh, you know, the three main killing. And then I'm saying it's not. Now we go back. If that's the case, then we must take the Sefer uh, Torah, the Luchot, the Torah, and place it in the Aron. My question is like this. The whole purpose of the Aron is to house the Torah. What is the Aron called before you put the Torah in it? Oh, very good. That's exactly what I would have said. A box. Which means it doesn't serve its purpose of Aron until there's a Torah in it. Before the Torah comes in it, that's like a sukkah before sukkot. Which means it only receives its Shem Aron when it's serving as an Aron. Which means a menorah is a menorah. Because that's an intrinsic item, whether it's lit, whether it's not lit. Because that's a klik mikdash. Mashekeken, the Aron is not a klik mikdash. The Aron is a box. It's a nice box, a gold box, fancy box. But it's nothing more than a box. It's not Kodesh. What makes the Aron an Aron? When you deposit the Torah in it. But before you put the Torah in it, not called an Aron. Now we understand what Rashi is telling us. Rashi is telling us that, listen, make sure you put the Torah in first and then put the kaporet on. You know why? Because the Torah says, Venatata et kaporet al Aron. You have to put the kaporet on the Aron. And until you put the Torah in the Aron, it's not an Aron. And if you're going to put the kaporet on it, you covered a pot. It's like a pot cover. You didn't do the mitzvah. So the Torah says, first make it an Aron. So that she says, well, how do you do that? I thought it was an Aron already. Nah, it wasn't an Aron. What do you mean? When I finished the menorah, it was called the menorah? Because the menorah is intrinsic. When I finished the shulchan, it was called the shulchan. That's an intrinsic keli. The aron is not an intrinsic keli. The aron only is uh, uh, to serve the contents that are inside of it. Ah, once you put the contents inside of it, oh, hazagabaruch. Now we call it an aron. Now once it's called an aron, you could fulfill the Torah's directive of an atatata kaporet ala aron. So here we have already two very important uh, revelations from Turi Shonim telling us the mechanics of the Aron. First is the revelation of the Rambam that it's not a clean Mikdash, not a clean Kodesh. And number two from Rashi teaches us when the Aron becomes an Aron. Now I want to add to this. I found a beautiful Rabbeinu Bahia. This week's Parasha. It's always good to know the roots the root of words, especially Hebrew words, you like to know where they come from. What's the source of the word? It's called etymology. So I want to know the root of the word Aron. Where does it come from, that word Aron? Now don't tell me Aharon. That's a name, nothing to do. Aron. Says the Benu And I quote, Umashinikra Aron, Milashon Ora. 
It comes from the word or. Or is life. Why? Because what's inside the Aaron? The Oraita. Oraita is the Torah. Why is it called Oraita? Because it's considered light. Which means, if we wanted to call the Aaron in English, we would call it a light box. You know those boxes that the ladies check the letters with? That's not. The real light box is the Aaron. Because it houses inside of it the Or, the Orat Torah. But based on what we just said in Ashi, it's very good. When is it called an Or? When is it called an Aaron? Only when the Torah is inside of it. But if you didn't put the Torah inside of it, it's a dark box. It's a black box. It doesn't have any light. It doesn't have any Or. It doesn't have any illumination. Therefore, only once you put the Or in the box, now you could call that box an Aron, a box that contains in it Or. A beautiful Rabbeinu Bahya, which is in line, what we're saying now, only when the Torah enters it. But before the Torah enters it, it's not an Aron. It's a nice piece of uh, plated, uh, plated wood. With this Rabotai, we get to answer another question. These concepts answer a few questions for us. One question is like this. You know there's an Isur in the Torah, you're not allowed to replicate the vessels of the Mishkan. For example, if somebody wants to come along and wants to replicate to scale and to detail the menorah. And you go through it like we went through in the Shi'urim this week, the menorah, with all its knobs and all its uh, uh, flowers and all its cups, and you want to make it exactly to scale as the menorah was in gold. Forbidden. The Mifarshim say, that's why the rabbis made Hanukkah eight days. You know, there's a famous question. The miracle was only seven days because they had enough oil for the first night. So therefore, why make it a eight-day holiday? Make it a seven-day. Because he says, if you make it a seven-day, then everybody would have to make menorot with seven sticks. And that's the way they made it in the Beit HaMikdash. So therefore, in order that we shouldn't have a problem of following the ways of the Beit HaMikdash's menorah, they made it an extra day. I have no problem on that. Now therefore, our menorot are eight-pronged. Nothing to do with the menorah of the Beit HaMikdash. Yeah, you, 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 I didn't, I didn't hear. Yeah, that's the menorah of the thing. Oh, you mean the decorative ones over here? So now, oh, this way, this way, this way. It's, it's okay. Now watch. Haram Bam writes, again in the same place, therefore it's a suit to model a menorah. It's a suit to fashion a shulchan. You're not allowed to make the Mizbeah. None of these things. But the only vessel he leaves out is the Aron. He doesn't write that you cannot make an Aron, which means, let's say, so you know what? A science project. I want to get acacia wood. I want to plate it in metal, gold, and make three boxes like it says, but one or the other. <clears throat> I want to make a... Harambam says, no problem whatsoever. Why not? Because based on what we're learning tonight, because in your science project, you know what you made? A box. 
And there's no issue to make a box. It's a suit to make an aron, and unless you have the luchot in your basement or the sefer Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote, that would activate it to turn the black box into a light box. But until that point, there's no problem. There's no isur to make something that's not a kli kodesh, and you don't have a way to activate it. So therefore, there's no problem. It answers that question. There's another famous question that's discussed by a rabbi called the Rashash. Now, not the Kabbalist Rashash, but the Rashash in the back of the Gemara in Yoma, page 53. Listen to a, a piece. You know, there were many differences between the second temple and the first temple. Besides the aesthetic uh, element, the first Beit HaMikdash was something stunning. It was magnificent. People would come, even the Goyim from all over the world, just to take a, a look at the structure that Shilamu HaMelech built. It was something uh, that captured the eyes. It was one of the wonders of the world, without a doubt. When they built the second Beit HaMikdash, it lacked the beauty of the first Beit HaMikdash, that's for sure. Now, I'm sure it was a, you know, a, a, an eye-catching structure, but not as magnificent as the first temple. As a matter of fact, the Navi says that the old timers that were there for the inauguration of the second Beit HaMikdash were crying on that day. On opening day, they were crying. And the young, the young timers came to them and said, what are you crying for? Look how beautiful. And they told them, you don't know what beautiful is. We saw the first Beit HaMikdash. This is nothing. This pales in comparison to what the first temple is. We're crying because what we lose over it, this is nothing. They, are, they, they appreciated it. Which is, by the way, side point, you see, and I don't know why that's why it should be the case, but you see, as the generations descend, they can't build things like they built them in the earlier generations, even though we have much more technology, much more, you know, machinery, and we have trucks and all different type of ways to, you know, go look at those old castles that they built, and they tell you, Michelangelo, you'll never, you'll never be able to do this again. I wonder, and you see the first bit of Mignash, the same thing. They, the first bit of later on, which is 400 or 500 years later, they must have had better technology to build things, but they couldn't build it. It's hard to understand why that's so. Maybe it's the unions, because there was no unions in those days. That's, that's probably the reason. That's, that's probably a logical reason. In those days, they worked 24 hours a day, and nobody was uh, suing them, and uh, they didn't put a rat in front of your building if you didn't use them, and uh, so you have things done. Today, you have a union, so therefore... You know, they're only working two hours a week, so how are you going to get things done? <clears throat> All right. I have nothing against the unions, by the way. Just don't want to get into trouble. All right. Somebody put a rat in front of the class next week, in front of the school. Oh, so now, so one of the things that was also different in the second Beit HaMikdash, the Gemara says in Yoma. When the Kohen Gadol went into the Kodesh Kodashim in the second Beit HaMikdash, there was no Aron. It was an empty spot. The location was empty. They did not have an Aron. Oh, so the, uh, so the Rashash asks, Kashali, not where is it, but Madua lo asu Aron aher bebayacheni. He says, what, they didn't know where it was? No problem. What, they ran out of wood? They ran out of gold? 
They know how to make things. They built this whole Beit HaMikdash. They built this monstrosity. They came built three boxes plated in gold. So the Rashash is, for whatever reason, they didn't have an Aron, make a new Aron and put the Aron in the Kodesh. And if you're going to tell me, he says, that's what he says, and if you're going to tell me, ah, but they didn't have what to put in it because they didn't have the Torah, they didn't have the Luchot. He says, well, let me tell you something. Harambam writes that in the second temple, the Kohen Gadol wore the breastplate, even though it didn't work. In the first bit, the breastplate actually was operational. They had this special, you know, activated uh, uh, paper that they put inside the Urim Betum that caused it to light up and give messages. But in the second Bet HaMikdash, it wasn't operational. But the Kohen Gadol still had to wear it because he has to wear the eight garments. So therefore you see that the item doesn't have to be operational for it to, to be considered valid. So therefore, just like the Kohen wore the breastplate, even though it didn't work, so put the other on there, even though there's no Luchot. <laughs> and you know what the answer is? Because a Hoshen Mishpat without the Urim Vitumim is still called the breastplate. But an Aron without the Luchot is a box. And therefore, there's no Mitzvah just to put a box zecher, uh, for the first bit. You either put an Aron or you don't put an Aron. Therefore, you don't have that option, says the Nashash, to just come along. Of course, they know how to build it. So what's going to be? You're going to put it in there. And somebody say, wow, what's inside? Nothing. So this is nothing. So what would you do? So you might as well put a microwave in the Kodesh Kodeshim. There's no difference. It's just an empty box that has no value. So that's why Rashash says you don't have that, uh, you don't have that concern. A beautiful, beautiful piece. Ayan Sham in the Rashash. Good. That takes care of the, the technical stuff, which is good stuff. Answer some questions. Now you know a little more about the Aron. You get your, your feet wet a little. Okay, beautiful. But now we get to the Musar. Because from all these things, you have to have, be able to take away something. And how is this going to make my life better? More, you know, more, uh, more Yerat Shamayim. I had a question. Question is, not why did it start with the Aron? The Aron is the Torah, Talmud Torah, Kenegit Kulam. Everything revolves around Torahs. So that should come first. Perfect. My problem was, you put the Torah in a place that there's basically zero accessibility. You, you vaulted away in this Kodesh Kodeshim where there's no access to anybody except one Kohen Gadol once a year. And even then, it's in and out. You know, he, he doesn't dilly-dally in the Kodesh Kodeshim. He's worried that he'll get zapped. So he goes in, does his business, makes a U-turn, comes out, comes back in, sprinkles some blood, takes the ketorin out, in and out. So nobody has any access to this Torah. I don't want to say, I don't want to say, but it's almost like a, it's like a museum. You turned it into a museum. You took the Torah, you took the Luhot, you put it away somewhere, you vault it, nobody can see it. And you go to the curator of the museum, he says, oh yeah, we have it in our vaults downstairs in the basements over there, we're in formaldehyde, we're preserving it. And I'm coming along and saying, 
If the Torah is sown in the church of the poor, shouldn't it be showcased front and center when you come into the Beit HaMikdash? They should say, first thing, don't forget to go into the Torah room over there and you'll see a beautiful expose and all the Pesukim, all the Parashiyot. You can turn the pages, you can read it. Instead, you walk into the Beit HaMikdash. Can I see the Torah? <laughs> if you're a Kohen Gadol, you wouldn't be able to see it. Today, because not Kippur. And then you'll never be able to see it. And you have to trust us, it's in there. Why, why are they be, being so overprotective of the book? That was my question. To my delight, I found the great Rabbi Oznayim Latorah, Rabbi Sarutskin, Alaba Shalom, in his book, which I recommend. This is a very, very good homash for our members to get. If you're looking to get a, a good homash to read on Shabbat with beautiful pieces, uh, Oznaim Torah has such gorgeous pieces. So he comes along and he writes like this. And I quote, Gam he'emidu oto b'makom ha'kadosh v'ahashuv b'yotr sh'bemishkan. They placed the Torah in the most sanctified, the most divine, the most holy spot, Kodesh Kodeshim. Even though once you put it in that holy place, you can't learn from that book. Aval. Matara acheret na'ala v'kidusha ha'ita it did not have that purpose of learning. It wasn't put there to learn from, obviously. It had a different function and a different purpose. What's the purpose? What could a purpose of a Torah be other than learning from it? And he goes on to explain. Most books, especially books of... Uh, intellect and knowledge, like books of medicine, books of science, even mathematics, certainly technologies, these books have something in common. They're always changing. The science of 100 years ago is not the science of today. A lot of the things that they said then are debunked and disproven, and they come along with new hadushim. The same thing when it comes to all different uh, fields of knowledge. They're always getting wiser, they're getting smarter, and they're upgrading it, and they're adapting, and they're changing it, and they're making it more current and more relevant. I don't, I don't think that's a problem, by the way. We want our medicine to be current. Uh, we want our vaccines to work also, but we want our, our medicine to be current, at least. We don't want to go to a doctor that's, you know, using the, the book from 100 years ago, still uh, putting ice packs on your head instead of giving you, uh, you know, a Tylenol. The point is, everything in life, in the realm of knowledge, knowledge moves forward. Knowledge progresses. And because of that, you have a lot of, there's no other word for them, imposters, that come along and say, well, the Torah also deserves and needs an upgrade. You know, you cannot tell a Jew in New York in 2022 
to follow the principles of a book that was given to Jews wearing togas in the desert without Wi-Fi in the year 2448. It's a 3,000-year-old book. It needs an upgrade. Once in a while on your cell phone, you get an upgrade in the middle of the night, 2.0, 15.0. You need Torah, 3.0. Let's give us an upgrade. Just make it more uh, current so we can, we can relate to it. We don't have camels and we don't have horses and we don't eat manna from the heaven. You got to give me a, something I can, I can hold on to. So therefore they come along and take the Torah and they revise it. <laughs> Very simple. How do you revise it? You take things that are not politically correct out because society is more progressive today because we know better. But Torah in those days didn't have the sensitivity that we have today. We're much more compassionate people. Therefore, you know, although the Torah might have had an old-fashioned understanding of what the institution of marriage, for example, is, and therefore it said, Adam it's an old way of looking at it, Adam and Eve. You know, who says it can't be Adam and Steve? It doesn't necessarily have to be Adam and Eve. So therefore, they come along, and you, you cut and paste, you delete that story out of the, out of the book, and what the Torah calls abominable, either will answer it up. There was a rabbi a few years ago that gave old dirash to try to answer it up. Abominable doesn't mean abominable. In those days it was abominable, but it's not. Or you just get rid of the whole thing and it doesn't matter. It's just erase it. What's the difference? And they don't have any problem with it because they're trying to keep the Torah, in their words, current. These are the revisionists. They revise it. And they did this uh, to all the texts, and they continue to do it. Yeah, the Torah might have said many years ago, in those days, you know, men have to be on one side of the mechitzah and ladies on the other side. Yeah, in those days, that's when ladies were oppressed. And that's when ladies, you know, didn't have their rights. But today we have suffrage, ladies vote, ladies have rights. Look at the Senate, we've got a few of them running around as well. Therefore... Got to get rid of that. Therefore, ladies should be allowed to go to the Kotel Amarabi, and they should be able to have their own minyan. And, but it doesn't say it. But we revised it. You didn't get the 2.0 version. You're still reading the old version. And therefore, they changed the Torah to suit a lot of their own agenda, that's for sure, and to make it uh, compliant with society's uh, uh, new uh, ideas and cultures and values. Now, that doesn't say, mean to say that the values of society are necessarily correct. But those people like to keep everything uh, in line and keep the Torah politically correct as well. And therefore, they constantly change it. I, Torah says, don't work on Shabbat. Yeah, in the olden days, work meant this. But today, driving a car, that's not work. As a matter of fact, it's easier to drive a car. It's less, less, less strenuous to drive a car than walk. It, it changed everything. Says Rav Saratskin something unbelievable. For that reason, you have to put the Torah in a place where the imposters will not have access in order to keep the Torah in its pure form so nobody will be able to change it. There always will be one pure Torah that there's no way anybody was able to come in and doctor it up. Even though maybe some of the Sefer Torah outside of the Kodesh Kodesh, but you'll always be able to go back to the original. And his Lashon is, al Torah si Moshe. We must protect 
and preserve Torah Sivalan Moshe Mizaifanim. Zaifanim are forgerers. Ummitkadmim. Mitkadmim are progressives. Ummitakinim. And those that are reformers that are coming to try to, to fix and revisionists. Shekamu alzota Torah Becholdor Vador. These guys have been around in every generation and in ours as well. And their goal is to chop up the Torah into piecemeal. Therefore, in order to, not to learn from it, but to preserve it and to protect it, Nobody can enter it. So therefore he can't come in with a magic marker and change any words because he can't write on Yom Kippur. No, we don't suspect the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur the Day of Atonement that's going to fool around with the Torah inside the Kodesh Kodashim. And after that, nobody has access. It's a method of insurance that there'll always be a pure sefer Torah that exists in order to know what the emet is. Because there's going to be a lot of convoluters that have come around and offer the new versions, the new Bible. Now the student will ask the rabbi at this point, so therefore what? Because we're such sticklers that the book's got to remain the book, it's got to remain like it was, and we can't change it, and every word's got to be as it was, and it's, it's etched in stone. So therefore, the whole world is moving forward, and us Orthodox Jews, <laughs> we're still living it out of Sinai in the Stone Age, because we got this old book that because of uh, nostalgic or whatever reasons, you don't let us change it. And everybody's going forward, and everybody's moving ahead, and we're still over there reading about the ox goring an ox, and the, all these other things that we, 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 can't make, uh, 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 we can't make sense at. That's what you might ask. So I have an answer to that, Rabotai. If that's your question, you came to the right class tonight to hear the answer. Look what it says in the Pesukim over here. Let's, let's learn a bit. Oh, I didn't bring the, I didn't bring the Mikraot uh, Gedonot. Okay, I'll paraphrase. Let's learn a little more about this Aron. Remember, we learned about you put rings, rings around the Aron, and the rings' purpose is what? Exactly to put the poles, not to carry. And where do you put the rings? So the pasuk comes along and says, and you'd bet. Four rings. And you put them on the four pa'amotav. What is pa'amotav? Oh, fantastic. So you, you're right. How do you know that? You, you consulted with Rashi like I did. Rashi says pa'amotav. Ketargumo, zaviyote. Zaviyote is the corners. A zavi. Very good. Now you learn. By the way, one of the advantages of coming to the class, you learn Hebrew. 
You're learning all these new words that you never heard before. Aron is melashon or, and pa'amotav is a zavit. Beautiful, it's like an ulpan. Only problem is, only problem is the Ibn Ezra is not convinced. The Ibn Ezra over here comes along on this pasuk. And he says, here we are. Listen to what language. He says, I searched the entire Mikra. And he didn't have a computer there, Ibn Ezra. He searched it in his brain. It was scanned. I don't know where that she got this from. I don't know what the Targum's talking about. You're telling me that Pa'amotav means corners? That's not so. I didn't see one time in Tanakh that Pa'am means a corner. So what does it mean? Rak belashon regel. It's a foot. It's a leg. Like it says, Ragle'ani pe'ame dalim. The feet of the dalim. Vayasim the derech pe'amav. He was walking his feet. Mayafu pe'amayich. A beautiful way your feet. Quotes all these pesukim v'rabim kacha. So uh, I disagree with Nashi. Therefore, you know what pa'amotav means? Feet, legs. And what is the pasuk coming to say? Alken utzrachti lefaresh. Hold on to your seats. This is an amazing hadush of the Ibn Ezra. Ki raglayim hayu le'aron. The Aaron had legs. Now that's not the way we saw in the picture books. In the picture books, it's a flat box that just sits, you know, on the poles on the floor. But the Ibn Ezra says no. The pasuk is saying it had pa'amotav. Pa'amotav is legs. And by the way, <laughs> it would be a bizayon. It would be a, a desecration for the Aron to sit on the ground. So therefore, no problem. The pamotab is not corners. Pamotab is legs, is feet. And as a result of that, we have a new construction according to Ibn Ezra what the Aron is. Only problem is, I saw brought down from the Baalim Musar, uh, one of the Rabbanim from Karlin Pinsk, Vulcan. He says, Mechilat to the Ibn Ezra, with all due respect, Pa'ambotav is not a foot either. Ibn Ezra is saying, oh, it's not a corner, it's a foot. He says, no. If you want to be more accurate, Harav Ibn Ezra, it's a footstep. When the Pasuk says, God is not saying, How beautiful are your feet? It's talking about the Jews that walked up to the Beit HaMikdash on the holidays. God's saying, How beautiful are your steps, are your footsteps? He put his footsteps to the road. And therefore he says, really, pa'amotav, 
the Torah is using this language to tell us something unique about the Torah. Why would the Torah use the word footsteps when it comes to discussing the Aaron? Because it was bothered, I'm telling you now, with our question. I've said this many times, and forgive the repetition, but it's so important to me, this dirash. Mishnah Pirkei Avot says, The world stands on three things, and one of the things is Torah. And we explained many times. When you say something is Omed, it means what? It is standing in position. When you're Omed, it's stationary. Omed as opposed to Holech. The Mishnah is telling you, Al ha'olam omed ala Torah, which means for the Torah to be a proper Torah that brings berachat to the world, it has to be omed. There's three things that are stagnant in the world that don't change. Science changes, medicine changes, mathematics changes, technology changes. But there's three things in the world that are omed. Omed means they're permanent. And the one thing that's for sure permanent is the Torah. There's no upgrade and there's no revision, there's no cut and paste. And there's no changing it, even a letter, even an ot, even a dot. Oh, so if it's an omed, if it's a rigid book that's stuck and the ink is permanent, so then we say to ourselves like I asked, huh? so we got stuck with an old-fashioned book. But is it old-fashioned? I have the responses of Hacham Abadiyah Yosef, Allah Shalom. I have the responses of Rabbi Eliezer Waldenberg, the Sitzel Eliezer. I have the responses of Rosh Shlomo Zaman Oyebach. And all the greats. And they get questions from all over the world. And all the questions are modern questions. Nobody's asking the Gidolim today about a horse and buggy. They're asking them about microwaves. They're asking them about in vitro fertilization. They're asking them about DNA. They're asking them about uh, uh, fingerprints. They're asking very technical questions that have to do with modern technology. And I looked at all the books and I read these answers of all these rabbis. You know what the common denominator between all the answers on these questions is? None of the rabbis answered, well, the Torah doesn't talk about it, so you know we had to go to Charles Dickens and give an answer. Every posek is able to answer any question, as modern as it is, from the Torah itself. They found it in the Torah. That's the mistake. You think that the Torah, because it's standing in its place, means that it's not current and that it's not progressive and it doesn't move with the times? That's why I want to say that although the Torah was placed in the Kodesh Kodashim, like Rav Saraskin said, to come and make sure that it's preserved and none of the fakers and the, and the uh, counterfeiters are going to come and tamper with it and vandalize it. Yes, it must remain Omed. But here it comes along and says, don't forget, it has an element of pa'amotav. And pa'amotav is footsteps. And when you talk footsteps, you're talking movement. When you're talking footsteps, you're talking something that's able to move. And the Torah has this dichotomy. It has two opposites. 
It can be a book that's standing, but at the same time it's moving. You don't have to change the book for it to move. The book itself was written for the ages. The book itself has an eternal element to it. All other books are only written for the time that it's written. So therefore, after a certain amount of time, it's outdated. The book expires. You have to, you have to make an amendment to it. The Constitution of the United States. It was written for that generation. They make amendments. But when the Torah was written, God says, I'm writing it once. And what I'm writing once will be able to move with you forever. And therefore, there's no need. And until today, never did a posek ever say, sorry, we can't answer this question. The Torah doesn't have an opinion on it. The Torah has an opinion on everything. And you can derive everything and anything from this old book that was given when oxen were goring oxen, but now you can answer questions about a 787 jetliner and a, 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 a car that drives by itself. The same Torah is able to answer questions regarding those matters as well. And therefore, in the Pirashah of the Aron, where it comes and tells us to put it away in safekeeping, but the Torah says, don't worry. The Torah uses that magical word, the Torah could have used the regular word zavit, which is a corner, and that would have saved us a lot of problems. But the Torah went out of its way to use a, a different word, which could also mean corner, but we also know that it means not feet but footsteps to tell us that the Torah is progressive and the Torah is actually moving as it's standing in place. That's a magic trick nobody, none of us can do. You can't stand in place and move at the same time. But the Torah has that elasticity. The Torah has that flexibility that it's able to be as is, but at the same time, it's the most futuristic and the most modern and the most current and the most relevant and the most appropriate and applicable book in the world. And it doesn't need human beings to come and tinker it and ruin it and take away from its truths and its beauty. So on one hand, don't touch the book. Say, oh, can't touch the book. Now what are we going to do? You're going to throw us back 3,000 years? No. The book itself has legs. The book itself will move with you. After all, even though it's in the Kodesh Kodeshim where it's Omed, it has Pa'amotav. It has footsteps, which means that it's able to move ahead as time moves on the Torah moves with us. That's a, a very, very important lesson. Now the good news I have to conclude tonight's class is, the good news is not that the class is over, but the good news is, or for some of us it is, it's good news. <laughs> but the point is, is that we did a great thing here tonight. We discussed one of the vessels of the Mishkan in depth. I found the Midrash this week that says that Anybody that studies these parashiyot and you analyze the vessels of the Beit HaMikdash, God considers the analysis as if you built it yourself. And therefore tonight we didn't just learn about the Aron. Our learning actually considers it as if we built Atikre Banayich Ela Bonayich. We were builders tonight. So therefore... Job well done. We did a lot of work tonight. That's why you're probably fatigued. We worked tonight. 
We were, somebody says, where'd you go tonight? We went to build, we had a building class, engineering. What did you engineer? We went with the rabbi and we rebuilt the Aron. <laughs> See, hey, you're not allowed to build the Aron. That's your mistake. You're allowed, the Aron you're allowed to build because until you put the light inside of it, as we learned earlier, it's only a box. But the Musar of the class is that the Aron is placed in a vaulted place to teach us its permanence and its uh, and its durability, but at the same time, it reminds us pa'amotav. The Torah moves with klaiyaset throughout the generations, and therefore, it is the most current and more, even say more so futuristic book of its kind. Baruch Adonai le'olam. Amen. Amen.